Well, greetings, Imagination Connoisseurs. Once again, it is I, your Duke of Dope Discourse, and as John Campia once called me, your existential Mr. Rogers, which, to be fair, still don't quite know what it means, with another John Campia Show companion video. Thanks for the kind words, because if you hated me doing these, John wouldn't let me do them, and I gotta say, they're kind of fun. So I'm just gonna get right into this. We got Anonymous, one of three Anonymous who actually becomes Baked Orc. Hey, John, first time writing in, but I've been watching you since 2014 on Jedi Council. I would like to suggest Elder Scrolls Online. As a formerly hardcore World of Warcraft player that simply doesn't have the time I used to, for some like World of Warcraft classic, I couldn't recommend ESO more. It has the right mix of hardcore to casual for most people, as well as a huge player base across consoles and PC. Just don't quest like it's World of Warcraft, as I found out the hard way that doing all the quests in an area to move on to the next bunch isn't quite how it works. I recommend asking a friend to give you some guidance or watching a very brief beginner guide to get you started. Man, I haven't played World of Warcraft in a long time. I enjoyed it, but you know what? I was kind of a casual. I dabbled in World of Warcraft long ago, um, but this sounds cool. I've heard of Elder Scrolls. I've just never played it. Uh, but I will definitely heed your advice and keep on the lookout. Uh, and by the way, thank you. Uh, congratulations on supporting the channel for the first time. Or should I say congratulations to us. And thank you for supporting the channel. Ruben Wakefield sends in a tip and says, Hi, John. I've watched a show for some time now. You've inspired me to be a better person. I appreciate the integrity. I appreciate the integrity of how you run the show. I wanted to ask all of you, what type of legacy do you want to leave and what it means to you? God bless. <laughs> well, Ruben, uh, always with the easy questions, eh? Uh, no, that's actually a fantastic question to ask. You know, I've always kind of thought that everybody should ask that of themselves. What kind of legacy do we want to leave? Um, I know for myself, I would hope that first and foremost, um, people thought that I was a kind, caring person, albeit maybe too self-centered for my own good. But I think that I genuinely like people, and I think that they know that about me. And I think, you know, I've always wanted to lend a help, helping hand to people. And also, I would hope that through my work, even though I've never had any breakthrough commercial success that people know, at least even on things that might not have been something that really worked, I think I brought something to that and elevated the material. But I think ultimately, I think what's really important is that we somehow have enriched the lives of people around us. And I know that can't be true of everyone around us, but I think for the most part, if people, um, if they think of you fondly, that's a good thing. But it's a good question to ask, Ruben. Good question to ask. Uh, BK Dan sends in a tip and says, John, someone mentioned the Olympics the other day. Did you know that August 3rd, 1984, Mary Lou Retton scores 10 for final vault to win the individual all-round competition in Los Angeles and become the first American woman to win an Olympic gymnastics medal? I saw that. I was watching that. That's how old I am. Uh, but I do remember that. I didn't realize that she was the 
first American woman to win an Olympic gymnastics medal. I did not know that, BKDM. Uh, BKDM. I've been watching a lot of Olympics. I mean, obviously, I don't watch them live, but I watch the daily recaps, and I've enjoyed them. I love the Olympics. I, I really do. Power is power. One of two sends in a tip. First you had my attention, now you have my erection. <laughs> That's what she said. Venom trailer bumped interest. Immediately noticed how horrifying Carnage's transformation is in contrast to Eddie's. In the comics, Cassidy's bond is so complete, they can't tell each other apart. Yeah, I gotta tell you, um, so much so... Hang on, before I answer that, you go on. So much so that while Venom always says we, Cassidy says I. Also, fun fact... All that slime drool you see is actually how symbiotes excrete waste. So they shit from their mouth. Victims are more like a suppository instead of a meal. Have fun with that. Well, power is power. Clearly, uh, you know your symbiotes and are. Uh, I, I, that's, a, that's a good thing. I mean, I, I agree with you, though. I think they're leaning heavily into the horror elements of this, which I'm there for. I think that's rad. I mean, I... I, you know, I read Secret Wars, the original 80s Secret Wars when it came out, when the alien symbiote was first there, later became Venom. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that the fact that they're leaning heavily into the horror aspects of it, I think it's pretty cool. And that's definitely something that I am interested in. I think, I think Let There Be Carnage looks really good. I think it uh, looks really good. Uh, BK Dan says, John, my SOS, my sauce, had a realization concerning Doctor Who that I wanted to share. The Bill and Ted movie, the first one, is an Americanized Doctor Who. Someone in a phone booth travels through time and has an adventure. John, Rob, audience, thoughts? Well, BK Dan, I don't think you're necessarily wrong about that. Of course, remember, uh, Paul McGann, they did do a Fox, did a TV movie with Eric Roberts as the master, trying to bring Doctor Who to America. But I definitely think... That you can't not think that Bill and Ted, especially the first one, was inspired by Doctor Who. I think you're right. BK Dan goes on and says, John, watching companion video, uh, Ang, is that angst? About Netflix canceling shows. Gotta say, totally agree Netflix is a business. It's not, la- it's not there to lose money. Nasally voice, but John, they're so good at it. Laugh out loud. I had to pull the nasal voice, and I had to agree. Look, man, it ain't show friends. It's show business. And if you aren't doing good business, you're going to get rid of your fans or your friends' favorite shows. I mean, it's just as simple as that. And the thing is, you know, um, on Netflix, they know. I mean, they've got real-time analytics. You can see, just like YouTube does. We can tell on our YouTube videos who's watching this. Do you like that? I don't know. What's up? And um, I I think that it's it's academic. If your show gets views... It sticks around. If it doesn't, it goes away. And um, yeah, I, I, and also, I'll tell you something. Doing there's a reason there's so many of these Netflix shows that have three years to them because um, you know beyond three years they have to renegotiate contracts. And if the hit, if the if the shows aren't real big hits, there's really no reason to keep them around for seasons four, five, six, and seven. No matter how, I mean, they have to be really popular to keep them around because. You know, I always thought of, we've talked about this before on the show, but Netflix is like a grocery store and everything in it is a can. And it really doesn't matter what's in the cans, just that the cans are in the grocery store and people can buy them if they want, or in this case, watch them. And the more cans there are, the more things it'll take people longer to get through and it'll keep subscribers coming back. So 
the more shows there are. Like, look, I love Designated Survivor, and Netflix picked it up, saved it from Network Oblivion, and they um, um, they did one season, and, and that was it. I thought they'd go well, at least seasons four, five, or six, but they did not, sadly. BK Dan goes on to say, John, I got to say I agree with how the Disney debacle will end up, but I got to disagree with the timeline. I say that Disney... Will settle after 12 months. I don't think they'll be able to afford the image of screwing over talent and breach contracts. Uh, maybe you might be right, uh, BK. We're going to find out. I just think that um, they're they're probably going to want this to have gone away before Shang Chi opens, and that's a month away. That was a month yesterday. So, yeesh. Uh, Frank Frankfurt Franklin sends in a tip and says, "Hey, John." With Clifford being delayed, my prediction, summer 22, 2022, it got me wondering if another movie delay season is upon us. My line of thinking is that studios will only delay movies they aren't willing to take a loss on, like Eternals. Oscar hype. Yeah, I don't know, man. Look, I, I keep hearing here in L.A. the COVID numbers are going up, and uh, the De- uh, Delta variant numbers are going up, and I just... I don't know. I mean, it's not... It's not ideal, I mean, obviously, it's not ideal. It's not what we want to have happen. But, you know, you might be right. I, I just, I can't imagine they're going to delay No Time to Die or uh, or Dune. I mean, those movies have a lot of money tied up in them, especially No Time to Die. But we'll see. Uh, we will see. Nick Parrish. Hello, Nick. One of two. What's up, Sensei Campia? So you asked yesterday how low the bar was for Jungle Cruise. The answer, according to all the tracking I read last week, was $25 million due to the huge ramp-up in COVID cases and the bad overall box office last weekend. Also, based on the average weekend opening for a non-sequel rock movie, during normal times, this is right on par. Even in normal times, this was probably making about 50 to $55 million opening weekend and still losing money based on the insane budget. Yeah, Nick, I know you're, you know your box office, and I have to say you're probably right about that. I mean, the low end. I, I, I look at this movie and I think to myself, okay, who is this movie for? I mean, the Jungle Cruise is kind of an antiquated ride anyway. They just revamped it. But I look at this movie and I'm like, I, I understand Emily Blunt and, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That all looks good, you know, doing a riff on the African Queen, but making it a little bit more Raiders of the Lost Ark-like. I understand, but at the end of the day... It seems to me that this movie was entirely constructed on paper in a boardroom. We'll do this, and we'll get these people to be in it. And uh, the director's a good director. He's directed a lot of great studio programmers and action films and things like that. Jaime, Colette, Sarah. Sarah. And I just I just wonder who, like, who are they making this for? Uh, I don't know. And I... Mm. I don't know. I don't think it did. I mean, $200 million. That seems excessive for this movie, but I don't know. Cutter Hale. Actually, I do know because it's not going to earn out. Cutter Hale sends in a tip and says, Been meaning to tell you that I took your recommendation and finally watched Mystery Men, and I loved it. It was hilarious and had great action, and I was really wrapped up in the story, and Blue Raja is the best and my favorite character in the movie. You know what, Cutter Hale? I have to tell you. I saw Mystery Men once, and I think I was kind of poised to dislike it. The world has changed since then, and John's always going on about it. I really do think that I need to give Mystery Men 
another shot. I got to do that. Well, based on your comment, all right, I'm going to do it. I'll get back to you. Uh, the eighth said, John, you're looking pretty fit these days. Did you secretly get a role for a superhero movie? We're on to you. Well, eighth, John has been going to the gym. And I'd say he, I've noticed he looks fit. He looks good. Good on John. But he's got a hot wife that he has to make sure he looks good for. So I can understand that. You know, you got to work out and certainly uh, is no uh, stranger to posting pictures about how fit she is. So why shouldn't John get into shape? Uh, it's good for him and it's good for her. It's good for them. It's always good to be in better shape than you. You know, I kind of. I kind of stopped drinking as much, started to eat better, not uh, having horrible food here in the Edit Bay, no chips, no gummy bears, no snacks. Uh, and John's got me drinking his Zevia. Not his Zevia, but my Zevia. Although I have to say, John has not delved into zero calorie soda ginger root beer. Uh, this stream is not brought to you by Zevia, but this ginger root beer is dope. Uh, ever since Aha, or Aha, yeah, Aha, the sparkling water, they had coffee and black cherry that they discontinued. That was my jam. I hate it when that happens. I hate it when you find something you like and then they take it away. Uh, anyway, music fan tipped five bucks. Hi, John. With the rising cases of the Delta variant and the fact that movie theaters could face more problems due to this, I'm going to stop buying or watching celeb movie music from artists such as Clapton who are anti-vax, who by promoting their stance is giving credibility to others to follow their views, thus threatening other people's jobs due to their stupidity. If we have another lockdown, plus movies such as The Eternals will get moved again. Um, where did Music Fan's third one go? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Music Fan, I'll find it. Um, you know, it's a tough call. I mean, obviously, when you're in the middle of a pandemic, you have to get vaxxed. I, I will say this. I do understand that the FDA considers the COVID-19 vaccines. They are in the experimental stage until 2023, but they are working. And it's not like these were whipped up in a lab uh, during COVID. I mean, these were, these were uh, vaccines that were in process long before we had this epidemic because of other things like SARS and MERS. And so they were doing these kinds of, of things. But... You know, I, 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 I can understand what you're saying about a music fan, about not supporting artists who aren't vaxxed. Um, but on the other hand, I would say this. I don't think that you not buying some of your favorite music would hurt them. But uh, I think standing on your convictions is always a good thing. Always a good thing. Your tribal chief sends in a tip and says, how do you think the negative reception and lukewarm box office of Space Jam 2 will affect LeBron's potential Hollywood career since he produced and started it? Also, do you think there'll be a Space Jam 3? If so, who should star in it? Ooh, that's a hard thing to say because I guess we'll have to wait till the next NBA star, what, 10, 20 years from now? Um, I don't think it's going to hurt him only because Space Jam is such an anomaly. I don't think people are expecting it to be the next Lawrence of Arabia and I think LeBron James, you know, he's well-liked, and I think we'll see him come up with something uh, something more. I mean, it's very interesting seeing basketball players. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who when I was a kid was like the greatest basketball player in the world. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a staff writer on the last Veronica Mars show. No kidding. And he's also been writing some great op-ed pieces for The Hollywood Reporter. 
and, you know, one of the greatest basketball players in the world. So I would suspect if LeBron James has been bitten by the entertainment bug, we will see him. We will see him stick around Hollywood. Um, and I, I like LeBron James. I mean, whenever I've seen him off the court, I like him. I like his personality. So who knows? He's a big geek, I'm sure. That's why I wanted to do Space Jam 2. Let's see what else he has up his sleeves. Ben Rayner sends in a tip and says, Hi, John. Bob Iger. I what? Like, retired for what? Like, five minutes and it all goes to shit? Also, Bob Iger. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. In and out, 5%. We see Iger come back to help out with the ScarJo situation. Thanks for everything. Bring on the filthy. You know what, Ben? I think if Bob Iger comes in to smooth out that situation, and I think you're probably right. It's a probably it's a good bet to think he will. I don't think anyone will ever know. I, I you know, he's left the company. I mean, he's still there, but he's on his way out. And I think that you know he knows as a leader he can't undermine Bob Chapek as much as Chapek might not be doing best things for the company right now. But you know what I mean? Uh, he's gonna wanna. He's going to want to let Bob Chapek run everything, and I'm sure. But then again, maybe Bob Iger wants to come in and be the white knight and fix it all. I can understand that. I mean, he built it all. How long did that take? Brian O'Connor. RIP, sir. Tipped five bucks. You want to know why or who I'm incredibly jealous of right now? Mr. Greg Frazier. He not only was the cinematographer for Denis Villeneuve's Dune, but also Matt Reeves, the Batman. Meanwhile, the rest of us have to wait and hope there aren't more delays. Well, Brian, I'll tell you something. Cinematographers do work their asses off. But yeah, I mean, what a year. Batman and Dune. From what we've seen, what little we've seen of Batman or the Batman. But what we've seen of Dune, it looks absolutely spectacular. And working with someone like Denis Villeneuve, I, I, I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine what that's like. So... Uh, I'm right there with you, sir. Right there with you. Um, and I hope they don't get delayed because, God, I want to see these movies. Ready Teddy Chetty sends in a tip. Hi, John. You said you don't know why Ayer keeps talking about a Suicide Squad. He responded to a movie critic who reviewed Gunn's movie and wrote Twitter that Ayer needs to quit making films and Gunn's movie proves it. Shouldn't Ayer defend himself against bullies? Here's the thing, Ready. I made a few movies myself, and I learned early on you can never respond to critics. It just doesn't work. You as the creator will always lose. Uh, your work should speak for itself. And But in the case of David Ayer, his work didn't speak for itself because the finished Suicide Squad is not his. And look, I have to say that as a film editor myself, and by the way, this is a time where I should plug, if you're in the New York area on September 3rd, they haven't closed down theaters. If you're in the if you're in New York City, look for a film I produced and edited, Tango Shalom. If you ever wanted to see a Jewish indie spiritual quest family dance comedy fable, well, Tango Shalom is your movie. And I was the uh, producer or one of the producers, and I also edited the film. But I do think that you know, for David Ayer, it's clear it clearly wasn't the movie he set out to make. And I understand, you know, that's a really tough pill to swallow. I mean, it really is. It sucks, man. It sucks. But I do think that um, you can't, you just can't defend yourself. If they let them release the air cut, which I think they probably should, but 
again, it would really depend on did the Snyder Cut get do the numbers that they thought it would, and the Air Cut is not nearly as popular as the Snyder Cut, so it'll probably never see the light of day. But if they want to put something up, if it truly is almost finished, and there's not a lot like the, the Snyder Cut obviously needed extensive effects work, but if the Air Cut, if his cut was pretty much done, you might see it on HBO Max if the, if the price is right. Brooks Kirk says, hey, John, I got to say I wasn't worried about the Delta variant before, but after watching your show yesterday, now I am, laugh out loud. I'm vaccinated, of course, but I really don't want to see any more movies delayed. If Dune is delayed again, I will lose my mind. Uh, I agree. I mean, uh, for me, it's no time to die. If no time to die gets delayed again, I can't, as a lifelong James Bond fan, I can't believe there's been a finished James Bond movie sitting on a shelf since April of 2020. And and to think we're not going to see it until October of 2021, it's like, oh my God, if it gets delayed again, what if I get hit by a bus? I always think about that. Ooh, a movie's coming out. Like, it hasn't happened yet, but uh, but I haven't been hit by a bus ever. But you never know. Or struck by lightning. You know, or just get cut down in my prime. And I don't get to see No Time to Die. I, I just can't imagine being at those pearly gates or perhaps the gates elsewhere. You never know. And I'm like, come on, really? Right before I saw No Time to Die, is there any way I can, like, scooch back into someone's body and possess them and maybe go to the theater and check it out? I feel you. I feel you, Brooks Kirk. I do. Capri Grant. Hey, John. So multiple people at Marvel have confirmed that What If is canon and that it stems from the end of Loki and the branching timelines. Ooh, I love that idea, even though that's what I kind of thought. I know you've said you aren't interested in it, but have you seen the first three episodes yet? And even though, Capri Grant goes on to say, you have said that you will not be doing the discussions for What If, have you given any thought to just doing like maybe a little two to three minute video of your thoughts on the episodes every week? Like how you do your out of theater reviews. Gee, Capri Grant, uh, I don't know if John's thought about that, but I'm going to steal that idea. I like that. I was a big What If comic fan. I loved What If. My favorite was What If. Uh, Conan the Barbarian was in the 20th century with the great Co- uh, Bill Sienkiewicz cover. So, yeah, I'm there. Uh, I'm in. I mean, I think it's cool. I always like What If. Of course, most of the comics always ended with the end of the universe. And the, the Watcher was like, and that's the way it is, folks. That's all. Um, so, yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, the Wakandan Forever sends in a tip and says, uh, Aaron, what are you doing? Leave Venus and Serena alone. <laughs> You're making the late for tennis practice. You're making them late. I was interested in King Richard, but now I'm really excited. P.S. John, you owe me a laptop. Seeing Kimberly and Aaron together on the show melted my scream. Uh, a screen, scream. I have to tell you, um, I don't think there's many more photogenic people on the internet than Kimberly, and I love Aaron and the two of them together. I have to agree with you. I am um, smoldering. But you know what? I have to say, man, I didn't have much interest in seeing King Richard until I saw that trailer. I mean, I watched a trailer like five times. That trailer is two minutes of just sheer joy. I loved it. And I think Will Smith just knocks it out of the park. And how can you not watch that trailer and not be like, like, have your heart warmed? I want to see that movie. I mean, I really do. And uh, I, I'm very, very, very excited. Uh-oh. I'm going to butcher this last name. Dominic Chulchowski? Chulchowski? Dominic, I'm sorry. I tried. Bonjour, Jean. 
I saw The Green Knight yesterday. I don't know. I didn't know anything about the film before going into a screening. Tabernak. This movie's great. A superb character study. Dev Patel is on fire. The visuals are stunning and the editing is solid. Well, Dominic, I really want to see. I mean, Sir Gwain, I really want to uh, see this. I love any Arthurian mythos stories and I like this mythic. mythic. It's a very mythic story and I, I can't wait to see it. Um, so that would be great. BK Dan sends in a tip and says, John, according to Metaflix, movie theaters are included on proof of vaccinations. Well, that's that's a great thing because did I remind everyone that, oh, yes, Tango Shalom will be opening in New York City on the 3rd of September. So everybody go see it and make sure that my film career continues and doesn't spin off into oblivion. Craig Berkey. Sends in a tip and says, hi, from the UK. I've seen Suicide Squad three times. It was awesome. Why don't movie theaters have reduced capacity, unvaccinated showings, and allow vaccinated moviegoers to attend more normal showings? Um, That's interesting. That's not a bad idea. You know, I think, though, that the problem is if people are unvaccinated and they're full of the virus, they're getting that virus all over the place. So it's getting to the point where with the with the cases on the rise, they have to just figure out a way to eliminate that kind of thing entirely. So, I mean, I can understand that. Campia's son sends in a, a tip and says, Hey, John, with how big villain origin stories have been in recent years, I've always thought it'd be cool to see a Pennywise origin of his first time on Earth. I know it's unlikely, but if Bill Skarsgård came back, would you like to see this? Hmm, Pennywise's origin to come to Earth. I would. I mean, look, I love, you know, I love my horror and I love my aliens and alien horror always. I mean, I want to find out how did an alien decide to become a clown? Did a did a clown do him wrong? Like maybe on his home planet, he has clowns and he just never liked them. Uh, and I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know. But I'd be into it. I'm totally into it. One of two, hey, Campia and fellow pundits, that's me. Uh, If I was Warner Brothers or Discovery, I would reboot the DC movie universe. Start with a clean slate of solo movies. My cast would be Batman, Luke Evans, Wonder Woman, uh, 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 Golshifta Ferrani, Superman, Ben Barnes. Uh, That sounds good to me, but you know what? I, I think they don't, I mean, I think they're doing okay. I mean, Wonder Woman 84, not so good. But I think that, you know, Wonder, uh, Aquaman did good, a billion dollars, and um, the first Wonder Woman did okay, but I, I don't think they'll ever do that. But that's not bad casting. Oh, you're going on further. You're going on. This was actually Gems DC. Ah, I see. Split over two. Gems DC goes on to say Black Lightning, John David Washington, uh, Vixen, Nicole Beharry, Aquaman, Uli Latufu, Green Lantern, Dan Stevens. Ooh, that's good casting. The Flash, Timothy Chalamet. Martian Manhunter, Sterling K. Brown. What do you think of my cast, and how would you reboot the DC movie universe? Well, Gems DC, I think it's a pretty good cast. All of those actors are very strong. I just don't think that they would reboot the DC universe. But I, I mean, I, that, that, I, I like your casting. The problem is, you know, you wind up going back, and what do you do? Tell another Superman origin story? I, I think that that, that's, um, that would just get old. I don't know if they would do that. But then again... You never know. Uh, Rachel Knight 
online sends in a tip and says, Hey, John, big fan since the AMC days. Miss Hollywood comes to you and says that she'll allow you to fix or resurrect one failed or failing franchise and leave you completely in charge of it. Which one would you choose to be in charge of? Much love. From El Paso, Texas. Actually, I should go this way, right, shouldn't I? Um, well, Rachel Knight online, you know me. I've got to say, there's only one thing. Star Trek. I would go fix the Star Trek franchise. I did not like any of the Kelvin movies, although the casting was good. Um, I would go back, and there's a script that Paramount owns that was written by Eric Jedrinson, who is a supervising producer of the Band of Brothers HBO miniseries. And he wrote it. It was a canonical Star Trek story that took place after the end of Star Trek Enterprise about the outbreak of the Romulan War. And it was, um, he was calling it his unofficial Iliad Odyssey trilogy. And I would go make that. That's what I would do. So, yeah. Anthony M.R. sends in a tip and says, John, you keep saying that Charlie Cox is not going to be in Spider-Man. And you keep doing the classroom thing. I think it's obvious you're trying to throw us off the trail because you've been cast as the MCU, Matt Murdock. Your secret's out. Jeez, Anthony, John promised me to not tell anyone. How did you find this out? Don't put this on Instagram. That would not be cool. I, I mean, I don't know how you knew that John is going to be a daredevil. But, uh, you know, who am I to say? You, you apparently found this out. Ben Bangs. Sends in a tip and says, hey, John and Rob, why didn't Disney just approach ScarJo and say something like, we wish we could honor our agreement, but will you work with us so that we don't go bankrupt? Not sure she would have gone along, but it would have been way classier. Thoughts? Look, Ben Bangs, I am with you 100%. Why they didn't just go and take care of this thing, I will never know. Um, This is an embarrassment for everyone. Uh, I'm sure Mr. Bob Iger, my my squash buddy, is not happy about it at all, as John was reporting on. How could you be? Um, how could you be? It's it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for anybody. Nobody uh nobody wants to deal with that. They should have talked to her. She tried to talk to them. If the reports are true, she could have done it. She could have alleviated this, but she wasn't able to get them on the phone. Um. Casey McNatt sends in a tip and says, I feel like Miss Marvel being pushed to after No Way Home and in between that and Doctor Strange 2 probably is a good idea anyway. I agree with that. Having people focus on a new superhero with another origin story with no competition is probably the best player. Plus, Casey, we're going to have Shang-Chi and the Eternals, also new superheroes, and essentially Hawkeye's show, even though we've met Hawkeye, him standing front and center is something new, and how is that going to work? We don't know. So I think you're right. I think Miss Marvel, and you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a tough call. Like Miss Marvel, I'm like, how am I? Am I supposed to be interested in a teenage girl superhero? I mean, you know, as a middle-aged white dude, I'm like, come on, man. Of course, who isn't interested in teenage superhero girls, right? But no, I, I think, all kidding aside, I do think you're absolutely right. I think that um, new character, and they they give her time to breathe, give her time to. I, I like the fact that there's. Time for contemplation and rumination after watching shows like Loki and WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. I like being able to think about this stuff. I don't I don't want it shoved down my throat week after week. I mean, give me time to breathe. So I think you're absolutely right about that. I think moving Miss Marvel into the first year, it hasn't quite been confirmed yet, I don't believe, 
but uh, I think it's a good move. I think you're absolutely right about it, and I am. I feel exactly the same way you do. Uh, Nathan D sends in a tip and says, "Hi, John. I'm just wondering why the live chat replay is disabled on some videos but enabled on others." I love checking in with the chat replay now and then, especially when there's a rant or something controversial being discussed. You know what, Nathan D., I would say that maybe John might do some judicious editing, maybe, and it throws off the live chat. I'm not really sure. I've never quite, on my own YouTube channel, which, by the way, is the Burnett Work, come over and subscribe. Uh, I've never uh, understood that myself. I don't like it when the live chats, I, I think people, one of the appeals of these YouTube shows is reading the live chats, being a part of that. And uh, I am with you 100%. I find it very annoying when the live chats are not there. And I want to read them. Um, Stubble McShave, my man Stubble McShave, all the way from Sweden, says, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, the new Herbie spinoff movie. Uh, That would be Herbie the Love Bug, or Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo, or Herbie Goes Bananas, or Herbie Rides Again. Man, I saw all those movies when I was a kid. I liked them. Could be. Could be. Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, the new Herbie spinoff movie. Well, you know, they've got... It depends which vehicle they're going to go with. Um, I like the the Scarab, the Scarab, the Flying Scarab uh, machine. I want them to go with that. The Great One sends in a tip and says, Amazon spends lots of dollars on Wheel of Time. By calculating from incentives in the Czech Republic, they spent $91 million on season one, not counting filming in four other countries or a lot of cast and crew salaries in post-production. They also set up a seven-football-field-sized studio. Well, that sounds uh, that sounds good to me. Um, why not? Uh, so, hey, that could be good. Um, I th- you know, I... I know Stubb McShave, who just asked the question before you, was very, very excited about the Wheel of Time series. And I think, you know, they're going all in on it. They must be really excited with the creative direction the show is taking. They, they, they greenlit it for a season two, which is always a good thing before we've ever gotten even near. We haven't even seen a trailer yet. So it sounds to me like the show is going to be pretty damn good. So I'm excited. I really am excited to see Wheel of Time. And you know what? That's not that expensive. It's still a pretty expensive show, but... It's not Lord of the Rings expensive. <laughs> BK Dan says, John, in my opinion, the way Bob Iger feels right now is a 10 on the Iger scale. Man, I can't even I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. He has got to be like nuked. Nuclear. Because this is Bob Iger's one of his things, his talent relations, so. This is not something you wanted to have to deal with. Not something you wanted to have to deal with. Not good. Not good at all. I can't even imagine. Can you imagine? Like, I wonder how he found out. Do you ever think, like, what did Bob Iger, like, where where was he? Was he kicking back with his beautiful wife or something? Or was he at, like, a fancy dinner? Was he on the beach? Was he enjoying himself? And he gets this call. Or he reads it. He reads it. Somebody had to have called him. You know. They knew it was going down. So he must have been especially like you'd think Kevin Feige and him like man this is not good and then to have this happen publicly it's just not good any way you look at it not good so he could not have been happy (laughs) so BK Dan I like that a 10 on the Iger scale I got to use that Brooks Kirk says hey John so I just had a job interview to work for the city of Lubbock 
Texas, Tejas. Don't mess with Texas. My hometown. I feel like it went well, and I honestly think there's a good chance I'll get the job. It'll pay well, which is great, but I also don't want to, don't want to give up on expressing my love for movies. I have something of a critic. I've been something of a critic myself watching so many over the years. I know I won't have time for a YouTube channel, especially with a job I might be getting. Should I just make a blog or what? Your advice would be appreciated. Well, Brooks, you know, you've got to do something that's right for you. Um, I think the most important thing I could tell you is when you go on to YouTube, if you all want to start a video channel or you want to start a blog like a Tumblr blog and review movies, the most important thing is to make it your own. Don't repeat back other people's opinions. Everybody wants to hear a unique voice. And the more unique that you make your voice, and I don't mean talking like this. I don't think you have to do voices like this, although maybe that would be funny if you have a good character. Um, What you should do is always make sure that your opinion is uniquely yours and give people a reason to come back. You know, your insights or your delivery or something that's uniquely you. And uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is, do a good job, you know, reviewing movies. If you if you are going to review films, you know, don't just be like, ah, I didn't like that movie. It sucked. Bring something deep and rich because we'll be watching. And we want when we come across your channel or your, I don't know, your blog, however you want to do it. I mean, you have to figure out what fits in with your new schedule. Maybe you only want to do movie reviews on the weekends, you know, and, and put those up. Maybe that's what you're going to do, like a weekend movie update or something. That could be... We have uh, in LA. We have Film Week on NPR with Larry Mantle. Uh, Film Week, and they they have other rotating reviewers review the films of the week. Maybe that's something you want to do, or or maybe uh, you could um, do a show. It's on Saturday mornings when you you uh, do a little bit of an industry insight into what opened, what did well, you know. Um, but I think what's really important is if you want to do that, you should. Because in addition, by the way, congratulations if you get this new job in Lubbock. Keep us, uh, of course, informed. But there's no reason why you can't do both. Just carve out some time for yourself, and eventually you'll have a cool blog, and you'll be interacting with viewers or readers, and it's uh, always a good thing. Richard Cutts. Richard Cutts um, writes in, After Clifford... Oh, dude. I hope Ghostbusters Afterlife doesn't get delayed again. I was really annoyed the last time it was delayed because my dad wanted to see it, and he died in March. I'm very sorry to hear that. And now I won't get to have that experience with him now because of that stupid virus. Richard, I am, first of all, I'm very sorry for your loss. Um, You know, my dad, he passed away 13 years ago, and there's not a day that goes by where I don't think about him. Um, He was a great guy, but I'm sure your father was as well. And it sounds like you and your father saw movies together. So, I mean, I, the only solace I would take is that when eventually when it comes out, it is called Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I, I bet you won't be able to watch that movie without thinking about your dad. And I hope that the movie puts a great big smile on your face because I thought it looked great. I thought it looked great. The, the trailer, the trailer, man, that new trailer kind of hit me in the feels. Gotta say, hit me in the feels. I got a little choked up. Uh, I thought it was good. But, um, yeah, I don't want... Dude, I'm so tired of having movies delayed. I mean, I'm not getting any younger. I'm no spring chicken. Who knows what's going to happen? I just I just want to see these movies. Why is it... I never thought it would be too much to ask to see movies, but now it seems like it is. Caleb. Caleb sends in a tip and says, Disney 
calling ScarJo uncaring toward COVID for wanting Black Widow theatrical when they opened Florida Disney World last fucking July when COVID was surging and months before a single vaccine shot had been given may be the single most typical hypocritical thing ever. Caleb, uh, you hit the nail on that head, sir. Yeah, I, I, that was one of the worst press releases I'd ever read. I think you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. Who are they to call Scarlett Johansson? I mean, look, whether you are tired of Hollywood elites and all their money, it doesn't matter what you think of it all. It's what your contract says. And the fact is there were 23 previous Marvel films that all got exclusive theatrical releases. So there was, we talked about it, John took us to school and did a very good job breaking down the um the the what what this contract law i thought john did a fantastic job and of course when she signed the contract there was the expectation based on precedent and as you all know legal precedent's important that these films are getting exclusive release and and releasing it on disney plus day and date even though it was at a premium price this was not usual this was something new and they absolutely should have talked to scar joe they absolutely should have talked to her 100%. McDavid deserves better, sends in a tip and says, did you watch the Warner Brothers promo of the Suicide Suicide Squad cast lobbying for the Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion in Edmonton? (laughs) Unlike the proposed statue of Wolverine, who was canonically born near Edmonton, this pavilion may get greenlit by the city council. Uh, that's hilarious. I've actually been to Edmonton. I enjoyed it quite a bit. They have a killer, uh, mall there and, uh, I enjoyed it. I liked Edmonton and I think, you know, any city is made better by building a shrine to Nathan Fillion, (laughs) the Nathan Fillion civilian pavilion. Who wouldn't want that in Edmonton, Canada? That seems like something you'd see on an episode of Letterkenny and I'm there for it. I'm with you. (laughs) Min Tran, one of two, says, if not a fast movie, a Suicide Squad or a Black Adam movie is a good alternative. Yeah. Yes, Peacemaker is severely underpowered to Black Adam, but DC can just write it where Peacemaker receives a power-up or something. (laughs) Missed opportunity if they do fight, if The Rock does not deliver an (laughs) electrified... does not deliver an electrified people's elbow to make it the most electrifying move in all of entertainment. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? I kind of think that Black Adam should absolutely fight Peacemaker. At least Peacemaker should be in the film. I think that's a missed opportunity. By the way, what is up with John Cena wearing that Peacemaker outfit everywhere? If anyone looked up online and saw the actual Suicide Squad premiere in Hollywood, I mean, oh my gosh. He was dressed as the Peacemaker then. He must must really love that costume. B. Wayne from NY, just B. B. Wayne NY says, John Robb, have you guys seen the deep fake video where they drop Henry Cavill's image into famous scenes from James Bond movies? It's highly entertaining, and it could be a possible look into the future of 007. A little Henry for you and James Bond for Robb. You know what? I've seen it. I think Henry Cavill would do great as Bond. I mean, he already played uh, Napoleon Solo in The Man from Uncle, so why not Bond? I would be all there for that. I don't know how they want to go with Bond, but Henry Cavill would be a great Bond. So why not? Brooks Kirk says, Hey, John, for the record, I'm with you on the drama between Disney and ScarJo. I, too, 
was disgusted by Disney's statement. I also liked how you defended and supported your stance on the matter with the baseball player dead kitten analogy. (laughs) You know, because everyone needs a baseball player dead kitten analogy. Very well done. Yeah, I mean, I thought John did a really... I really enjoyed being a part of that when John broke it down legally. He does, of course, have a little bit of a a legal uh, background, so it was good hearing him break it all down. He said some things I hadn't actually thought about while I was doing it. I went and looked and looked up acting on reliance because that was something I did know about. And sure enough, it popped up about contract law. Yeah, I thought I thought John's take on it was great. I mean, look, to me at the end of the day is it ain't show friends. It is show business, as you all know, and you got to do business. You can't not. Um, you have to live up to your contracts no matter what. I mean, Disney's Disney. If you make contracts with people, and the thing is, people aren't going to make contracts with you if they don't trust you. If you're not going to live up to your own contracts, what means you're going to, what makes you think, what makes anybody think you're going to live up to anything? I mean, you got to live up to those contracts. Ryan Loner sends in a tip and says, I'm rewatching The Sopranos to prepare for the new movie, and holy crap, is this show amazing, and it still holds up perfectly. The downside is it changed what was possible on TV so much that new viewers probably won't see why it's a big deal. That's an interesting point, Ryan, but I think, you know, that's kind of the evolution of things. You know, people go back and watch the original Star Trek, and they're like, you know, Rob, it's not that good, and I'm like, yeah, it is. It came out in 1966. It's 55 years old today. Or this, actually, it'll be 55 years old on September 8th, September 7th, you're from Canada. But uh, if you're a good Canadian kid like John, September 7th. But, uh, yeah, no, you go back and you watch these television shows and everyone takes it for granted now. But, look, over the last 20 years, we've lived through, or the last 30 years, really, and HBO led the way. Um, Shows like, I mean, people don't talk about it anymore, but I remember being blown away by Oz. I mean, yeesh, you go back and you watch that and you're like, that's not politically correct. Um, but that's a show that I remember watching going, oh my God, this is groundbreaking television. Then it was followed up by The Sopranos. I remember thinking that, like, the first of all, the first season of Sopranos is one of the great uh, first seasons of television ever. And that was back when Livia and Nancy Mershon was still with us, playing Tony's mom and Uncle June and Tony and Tony's mom, Livia. That was some drama. And I mean that D-R-A-A-A-A-A-M-A, drama. Man, that was some great, great, great television. So, absolutely right. And it is. And people are going to be like, ah, it's just like every other TV show. No, 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 no. No, it wasn't. Ryan H. says, hey, John. From the earliest days of WB and Disney starting to talk about moving films to streaming during the, pan- during the pandemic, you and Rob have both said that in the long run, this is very likely what major studios have been wanting and that is more control over the distribution of their own films, i.e. more direct revenue. With that said, although I disagree with almost everything Bob Chapek has done thus far, both internally and externally, doesn't Bob Iger bear some of the culpability with direct-to-streaming films on Disney+. Plus? Although Bob Iger would have handled the, movie with greater, the move with greater grace, respect and compensation for his actors and employees better than Bob Chapek has, long-term wouldn't the end result be the same? That is, more films going directly to Disney+. Plus. Well, Ryan, I'll tell you, I don't think you're wrong. I still believe that a great theatrical release, I mean, if something like Endgame went directly to streaming, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have brought in $3 million. And remember, or $3 million, $3 billion. And remember, 
you know, Disney has a split on that, so it doesn't take. If, if something makes three billion, Disney probably makes one point six or one point seven billion. Still, that's a huge chunk of change. And to figure out the analytics of how would a movie like that earn out? I mean, that's money that it gets before it goes on to Disney Plus. So it's hard to say, but I think we're a long way from a world where a streaming movie is ever going to be considered to have pulled down that much cheddar. But you're right. I mean, I think ultimately the way that we're going is everyone's going to want to own their own streaming services because they're selling direct to the consumer and they're cutting out the middleman. On the other hand, there's a lot of money being left on the table with these theatrical releases. But if they're if they're shrinking the windows, Endgame wouldn't have if it was only playing in theaters for 45 days, it would not have made as much money as it made. So it's a trade off. And I think I think it's really interesting to see what what's happening but we're we're in the middle of a massive sea change and how it's going to how it's going to play out and how they're going to figure out how to monetize movies uh that's tough i mean it's it's that's a that's a tough one that's a tough one to to um it's tough it's hard to do hard to do so yeah interesting though it's going to be interesting to see where all this shakes out in 5 years I mean, I want to believe that movies, especially big tentpole movies, will always have a place in theaters, but one never knows. Uh, Ryan H. says, The ScarJo situation has me wondering if actors and actresses in the future are compensated fairly. Do you think they'll care if their films go direct to streaming? Is it more than just money and more about the prestige of being in theatrical films? Ryan H., there's some of that. I mean, in the industry, the perception currently is that everybody wants their movie to go theatrical, whether it's a low-budget indie movie or obviously it's if it's a huge budget studio picture, going theatrically is still the end-all, be-all of the business. And a lot of earnings are based on that by getting that theatrical release. It's really, 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 really important. Now, that could change. I could see, again, everything changes. In 10 years, people might be like, who cares? But for right now, both filmmakers and everybody in movies, the industry at large, they all want their movies to go out theatrically and make a big splash. And I still believe that um, a movie is, is infinitely more valuable if, in fact, it becomes a theatrical release. I, I, I honestly, I do believe that. I do believe that. But um, in the future, you know, it depends on... See, the thing about Scarlett Johansson is she's at the highest levels of, of power in Hollywood. And, you know, when you, when you get there, you get as much as you can, when you can, while you can. And that's what she was a producer on this movie. That's what she was negotiating, knowing with remember with the expectation that up until now every Marvel movie has done at least on average a billion dollars. Now, like that's after everything is totaled up. Like an individual movie like Doctor Strange might not, but if a movie like Doctor Strange, you know, made seven hundred million dollars, I'm sure Benedict Cumberbatch got some bump because that means people like him as Doctor Strange, and they did the right choice. And that's how business is done in Hollywood performance space and marvel doesn't pay people huge salaries up front they give you performance bonuses and that's how you that's how you that's how you score a uh, daryl best wadley sends in a tip and says hey john three movies i hope to get a sequel one day because i love the first hancock Car- hancock karate kid with jaden smith don't judge me i won't and most of all tag that was my favorite comedy of that year heartfelt and funny you know, I don't know how those did. I mean, I liked Hancock a lot. What a wacky mythology. And I really like Will Smith. I really did. I thought Will Smith did a great job. And Charlie's Theron, I liked it. Uh, I haven't seen the Jaden Smith Karate Kid, but I, I 
why not? Uh, if you like the movie, if it's a favorite of yours, you should get a sequel. And Tag, I could see them doing Tag 2, Tag Harder. You know, I could see that. People like that movie. Uh, I don't think you're wrong about that, sir. BK Dan says, John, as someone who grew up with Star Wars, I've got to say my favorite scene in any Star Wars was in Episode 3, as Darth had just gotten his suit and crowds just stopped breathing as James Earl Jones' voice started. It wouldn't have been on the same. T- it wouldn't have been the same on TV, at home versus a movie theater. No, that was, dude, that was amazing. I mean, it was the birth of Darth Vader. We were there. What a way to end that movie. And then, of course, at the end, when Vader crosses his arms and is standing next to Tarkin in front of the Death Star, being the, the outlines of the Death Star being first constructed. I mean, come on, that was good stuff. I agree. I would not have wanted to be anywhere else. I actually saw that movie. Um, you know, I was working on Superman Returns. We saw it the Fox, the Fox Studios has this like Fox Entertainment Complex, and we we had a special screening for us, and we went over there. The whole cast and crew of, of Superman Returns went to go see it in the morning. Uh, Peter uh, Cunnington says, "Hi, John. Uh, say this really fast: the Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion." <laughs> <laughs> there's a petition to build a park in Edmonton, Canada called that. And there was a commercial with the members of the suicide squad, including the director mentioning this might happen. Say it with me. Now the Nathan Fillion civilian pavilion, <laughs> Peter, you're not the first person to bring this up this chat and you're probably not going to be the last, but I hope there is a Nathan Fillion civilian pavilion. Cause who wouldn't want to go there? Visit Edmonton, the home of the Nathan Fillion civilian pavilion. Who doesn't want to see that? You wacky Canucks, uh, I want to see it now. Make this happen. Make it happen. Stranger things have happened. Make it happen. Christopher Rosado says, hey, John, over a week ago, I asked if the upcoming Marvel Legends short about Petty Carter could contain at least one scene from her show. Well, I just finished it, and it didn't. Clips used were from the three Cap films, Ant-Man, Endgame, and her one-shot short. Well, I'm sorry about that, Christopher. Um, maybe in what if, I don't know. Uh, but, um, it should have had, a sh- you know, maybe it had something to do with the aspect ratio and the way it was shot that the other things were all widescreen, but they couldn't use TV cause the aspect ratio is uh, different. Could be that the mad Norwegian Vikings sends in a tip and says, Hey John, something that was said on your show left me with a bad taste in my mouth. And that was when I learned that people put ketchup on eggs. <laughs> so you can just imagine my face when i learned that in sweden they put bananas on pizzas i you know i don't know pineapple on pizza is bad enough i get it when you go to hawaii ham and pineapple together has an interesting taste i kind of like it but that's when i'm in hawaii you know when when you go to hawaii you do what the hawaiians do you know, you say Meli Kaliki Maka instead of Merry Christmas. You do. That's what you say. Um, so maybe if I go to Hawaii, I have no problem with, with with pineapple on pizza. But bananas? Bananas on pizza? I guess maybe if they're like deep fried or something. Ugh, doesn't sound good to me. Troll Hunter's son, one of three. Hey, John and crew, as you probably know, several countries haven't shown Black Widow in their cinemas, and the reason given was the D-plus release. That would be Disney+, Plus, not the critics who are. 
Now, Nordic Film, the biggest film distributor in Norway, came out in Norwegian newspapers and said that the real reason is that Disney wanted the same amount of money as it had been a normal theatrical release. So we are still having COVID-19 restrictions. So if you and I had booked two tickets, the seat next to us would also be booked. I think Troll Hunter's son brings up a really good point. Uh, Disney was driving a hard bargain. They wanted to get the same amount of money that they would get in theaters when there was no COVID and they were open to full capacity. And a lot of theaters, like in Japan, I mean, they can't, you can't do that. They just, they just can't do it. You know, they just can't. Oh, wait a minute. So Troll Hunters, two or three, I didn't read that. Let's start again. Let me read that all the way again. So, Hey, John and Cruz, you probably know several countries haven't shown Black Widow on their cin- in their cinemas, and the reason given was the Disney Plus release. Now, Nordic Film, the biggest film distributor in Norway, came out in Norwegian newspapers and said that the real uh, reason is that Disney wanted the same amount of money as it had been if, as if it had been a normal theatrical release. Now we're still having COVID-19 restrictions, so if you and I had booked two tickets, the seats next to us would also be booked, meaning that cinemas are basically running at 50% capacity. It would, with Disney's demands, be impossible for them to make their money back. But hey, let's blame that greedy actress, right? Well, as I was saying, uh, you know, you are absolutely correct, Troll Hunter Son. I mean, they can't do it. And Disney's driving this hard bargain. I understand everybody has to make money, but give me a break, man. We all have got to man up. You want to release Black Widow, you can't break COVID protocols, and you can't do that to movie theaters. That's, that's not being a good partner. Not being a good partner. So, um, not good. And uh, it's a bummer. That is a bummer. Quentin Shubasawa. What a cool name. Quentin Shubasawa. Sends in one of three. Saw Snake Eyes, and you were not exaggerating about how bad the shaky cam was, but I honestly was having a good time with it up to when Snake Eyes learns the truth about what is going on and still stabs Storm Shadow in the back the first time. It completely ruined the movie for me, which sucks because I really enjoyed some of the characters, especially Storm Shadow and even Snake Eyes himself up to that part. Sad that we probably won't get a follow-up because I think a sequel could have had potential to fix the issues, kind of like what we're seeing with Suicide Squad. Great actors with potentially good characters, but a bad script. Hashtag justice for Storm Shadow. Yeah, I don't, I gotta tell you, like I said, I used to think that everything in the world could be made 25% better with the proper application of ninjas. Well, I guess, I guess Snake Eyes proved me wrong. Um, you know, I don't understand. I mean, it, it's funny. You know, even a movie like Snake Eyes, they got to make a good movie. You got to make a good movie. I don't like it when things aren't good. Um, and I don't know if we're, we're ever going to get another movie. G.I. Joe Origins, Snake Eyes, are, are they going to do another G.I. Joe Origins movie? I mean, if this didn't do good. I know Hasbro's really trying to step up. They want to bring all of their IP in and make movies but look here's the thing shaky cam is a crutch to cover up what you lack in choreography and stunt skills and in a movie like snake eyes i mean there's a lot of great stunts you could tell in the trailer but if they're if the hand-to-hand combat with these nobody likes that i mean look go back even though it's handheld go back and look at my beautiful the raid or as you should know it the rad or the Rad 2, even radder. Look at the raid. Long takes, great choreography. That's what that's what martial arts or hand-to-hand or sword fighting, all of that should always be done elegantly. When you're using shaky cam, everyone knows it's a crutch. It, it diminishes what you've done. Not a fan.
But Quentin, I, uh, I, I feel for you, man. And I feel for us. Because I wanted ninjas. I wanted ass kicking. I did. Anton Riley sends in a tip and says, I just watched today's companion video. And well, I thank the anonymous person who sent in $300 to charity for a wonderful performance. For a guy who says you can't sing, John, you do have a nice voice. And you play the guitar so well. Anton, is this a backwards way of you trying to get me to sing Barry Manilow's Copacabana? Because I would. I don't want to get John demonetized. I don't want to, you know, bust out the, her name was Lola. She was a show. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Because what if he does get demonetized? I can't be responsible for that. This is already a companion video. Um, but yes, I mean, I didn't know that happened to Anton. But John is, you know what? Look, here's a secret about John Campia. Now, y'all know I say this all the time, but I don't think you quite understand. At heart, John is a song and dance man. He wants to be a rock star. He was in a dance crew, after all. He's a song and dance man. He loves his musicals. I mean, when, when we first started working together, we were driving to get some camera equipment, and John's like, have you seen The Greatest Showman yet? And I, I'm like, I'm like, uh, no. And he's like, you've got to hear these songs. Now, admittedly, the Greatest Showman does have some great catchy songs, some great pop tunes, which I like. But the first time I heard them was with John. John actually put the thought in my head. And when I was at a Best Buy, there was a lonely 4K Greatest Showman steelbook. And I had to buy it. Took it home to Liz. We watched it together. And I'm like, this movie's pretty good. And I like this movie. Uh, John John Campy is a song and dance man. That's, I mean, it, we talk about bringing on the filthy. I think it should be bring on the music. Bring on the singing. Bring on the dancing. Bring on the dance crew video, Mrs. Campia. John's mom, if you happen to be watching this, and there's no reason why you should, but if you are, you've got to find, Let me. I'll, I'll get you my home address. You've got to dig through John's childhood things, and you've got to find the VHS tapes of John Campia dancing. I'm just saying. But Anton, and the anonymous person who gave John a tip like that for charity, or gave a tip, a tip to charity in John's name, thank you for that. Appreciate it. That doesn't change the fact that all of us, I mean, can you imagine how many views, how many views would John Campia's dance crew tape get? I can't even imagine. Anthony MR sends in a tip and says, my top 10 comic book movies in no particular order. Wonder Woman, Days of Future Past, Iron Man, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Winter Soldier, Superman 2, The Donner Cut, Infinity War, Avengers, and Spider-Man 2. I would add The Crow to that yes the crow is based on a comic book i would also add blue is the warmest color i know you're gonna say you're a dirty old man rob but that, that movie brought the filthy on plus it's a devastating examination of relationships and yes it is based on a french graphic novel so there you go blue is the warmest color watch somebody's gonna watch it somebody's like young and their mom's gonna come in and watch it and they're like, what are you watching well, you know, Rob Burnett on John Campia's show said to watch Blue is the Warmest Color because it's a great comic book adaptation. And it is. It's just different than other comic adaptations. That's all I'm saying. But that's a good list, Anthony. Hector O sends in a tip and says, Will you be getting the new annual pass for Disneyland anytime soon? Now, I was reading about this today, and I'm like, wait, what? I'm still trying to figure out because I was an annual pass holder. I don't have my thing in, but I was a Disney annual pass holder. Wait a minute. Hang on. And, of course, they discontinued them. I think I might even have it in my wallet. 
I've still got, I, I got to get one of those like newfangled, uh, see if I have it in here. I don't know. Probably not. Now that I've, now that I'm looking for it, shoot, I thought I still had it in here. Maybe I, maybe I tossed it. Uh-oh, no more. I don't have my Disney annual pass. You know what I do have? My Arclight membership, which is sad because there is no more Arclight. Go figure. What are you going to do? Well, I could have shown you I had a Disney annual pass. I probably tossed it. Oh, well. Uh, what are your thoughts on the new program? I remember you saying that you and your wife had for plenty of years the annual passes and liked the old program pass a lot. I liked it a lot, too. I really, Elizabeth and I had annual passes. I really liked it. You could just go down there and aside from parking, it was you just go in. You could, I mean, you had to pay for food and stuff, but you got a discount. I really liked it. It just seems a little spendy. I mean, it's a little pricey. I know they need to make up what they've lost for COVID, but it is spendy. I was looking at the tiers going, wait a minute, as a local California boy, what do I get and how is it going to work? And I don't, I don't really know. Ismail Montoya uh, sends in a tip and says, John, after being on planes for over 30 hours in the last couple of weeks, I realized how horrible the movie selections airlines have. The best thing I saw was Underwater with Kristen Stewart. Can AMC have contracts with airlines to pay for movies? <laughs> yeah, they don't get... I mean, it also depends, because remember, airlines cater to the, all the public, so they have to have movies that... I, I don't know why Underwater would be one of them, but they have to have movies that everybody will like or something like that. So, yeah, I, I don't like it. You know, foreign... If you fly international, the movies are better. Sometimes you get foreign classics, which is always good. I always like that. I was like dipping into the foreign classics. Uh, Timothy... One of four sends in a tip and says, I want to get your opinion on something. I'm currently watching Dave on FXX. Good show. Wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but I like it enough to keep watching. The second season, which is currently airing, is modern day, taking place in 2021. Yet there's no mention of the coronavirus in this show. It's basically ignoring it. It's an alternate universe. Do you think it is wrong of this show or any show taking place in the current moment, for that matter, to just pretend like COVID didn't exist? And not at all at least mention it in some way, even doing something as little as having some characters wearing face masks. I feel that in 5 to 15 years, these shows will be looked at as insignificant and maybe even insulting for ignoring such events. Hollywood doesn't make movies set in the early 40s without at least having some mention of World War II. What are your thoughts? Maybe you think it's too early for modern day shows to address modern events. I mean, the show doesn't even show characters social distancing or have masks hanging from their ears. Really compelling question, Timothy. Um, look, if your show is going to be set in 2021 and it's set after March, I mean, middle of March is when we when we lock down, I think it's pretty ridiculous because how do you make a movie that um, takes place uh, in 2021 and not mention COVID? I don't know. Uh, that's odd. And it does seem like it'll date quickly. I guess you could say hopefully COVID will go away by Christmas, but then it's not taking place at Christmas. I... I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's tough. Do you mention it or not? I mean, it affected all of our lives. I mean, if it was something that was isolated, but it wasn't. Not only did it affect all of our lives, it's still affecting all of our lives. So uh, I think you're right about that. I, it's kind of an odd way to go. It, wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't be the direction that I would go in, but it's definitely odd that they decided not to mention it. I think you're right. I I don't know what it's going to mean in five to ten years, but I do think it's strange. I do think, like, come on, how do you... You're going to watch something going to be 2021, 2020, 2020, and even 2020, if you're not mentioning... I mean, COVID's been now affecting us. We're, we're what, a year and a half in now? I mean, March, it had been 
a full year since lockdown and now April, May, June, July, August. I mean, we're we're in it, man. We are we are in it. It's probably going to go till for another another year. I could see that. Something's going to happen. We'll see. Orange Grove 55 says, is it possible that Bob Iger is behind these leaks to the trades about Disney's internal drama to sort of put pressure on Chapek? No. Thanks for all you do, John. I don't think I don't think he would do that. Because look, he wanted a smooth transition of power. Nobody nobody wants this kind of turmoil. Remember, he could have stayed at Disney if he wanted to. There's no reason. It's not like Bob Che. It's not like they were kicking him out because I'm sure if you if you wanted to stay, eh, they probably would have worked something out for him. Uh, they probably would have. So I don't think he's doing that. I think it's just embarrassing. I mean, this is bad business, and Bob Iger doesn't do bad business. Chicago Verse sends in a tip and says, Hey, John, question. With the streaming wars in full swing, I'm curious. Do you think WWE's deal with Peacock to allow them to stream all their pay-per-views and content is a contributing factor in why Peacock could be a big-time player in the streaming wars? Well, Chicagoverse, having that kind of exclusivity is exactly what the streamers want to have. So I think, yeah, I mean, that's definitely, it definitely positions themselves to be in a pretty good place. So I think you're really onto something there. And that's, I think all, all of the streaming services are looking for their unique individual content because that's how they're really going to set themselves apart from anyone else. So uh, Kenna sends in a tip and says, hello, John. Have you seen the Kate trailer? I saw it today. It looks good, but it's a Netflix movie, yet it also has a theatrical release. Does that bode well for this movie? What are your thoughts? Thanks. Here's the thing. I'm kind of tired of this trope. You know, assassin gets poisoned and has 24 hours to find her assassin or the, 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 the leader that's underground. It's, it looks very John Wick. It looks very Lucy. It looks very, it's very similar to a lot of things that we have seen before, but Mary Elizabeth Winstead looks like she's kind of an ass kicker, and I always liked her. Looks like it's got a great cast, and, um, you know, there's a lot of crime bosses and kick-ass stuff happening. The Yakuza, you know, maybe ninjas. And uh, it looked really good with, it looked really good to me, although it did look a kind, it looked a little bit TV movie-ish. I know it's coming out in the theaters. Looks like there's a lot of great action, but for me, the jury was still out. I mean, obviously, in the wake of the success of things like John Wick and Lucy, you know, ScarJo, we're still feeling the effects of that movie because that movie made a lot of money. People forget how much money that movie actually did make, another Luc Besson joint. And, um, yeah, so I, I, it looked good to me, but for me, the jury's still out. I, you know, well, who's, what's not to love about that kind of action? Looked good to me. Jack Lumbers sends in a tip and says, earning-wise, both AMC and Cinemark have a negative earning in quarter one. With larger movies coming out in quarter two, like A Quiet Place 2 and Cruella, do you see the theaters have a positive earning, or will it be quarter three or quarter four before earnings turn positive? Well, Jack Lumbers, I, that's a good question, because the movies aren't staying in theaters long, and they're, other than a few hits, they there hasn't been a lot of runaway success. I'm hoping movie theaters see some real growth and real, real profit, but right now it's a little iffy. A little iffy, and with with the Delta variant on the rise, who knows what's going to happen? I hope something good, but who who knows? Dom's vibranium bicep sends in a tip and says, "Appreciate your educational law segment from the uh, yesterday. I really enjoyed that too." Public service announcement for my fellow Google search warriors: Law folks have degrees and experience for a reason. Laugh out loud. Well done. And when is the next time for the law and order? <laughs> Giovanni Campia edition. 
Uh, I can't do that sound effect, but I, I love it. I love going to school with John. I feel I learned something. I love, I love going to the Campia classroom. That was actually really good. I mean, John, I thought, did a great breakdown. He didn't. He, he flat out said, look, he's not a lawyer, but he went and did his research and, and gave you viewers at home something you wouldn't normally get. You know, I think when I do my own show, Rob Observations, and John does these shows, I mean, John sends me show notes the night before. He does do research. And sometimes when he does like a deep dive into something like this, I think it's pretty cool. I'm like, I'm proud to be a part of this show. That's why I'm still here. So, yeah. Uh, Matt says, hey, John, two questions. Who are you picking in the rematch? Rematch. Who are you picking in the rematch? Usman versus Covington. Also, where does the Suicide Squad rank in the DCEU, Matt? I have to hang my head in shame. You did not get your $7 worth, your tip. I don't know the answer to either one of those questions because I've not seen Suicide Squad, and I didn't see the first, the first bout of Usman versus Covington. And I feel bad. But that doesn't mean... The support of the channel is not greatly appreciated. I just feel that now I've let you down. And I am sorry. And um, I hope next time that John reads your generous tip. Because I feel like, see, I'm going I'm to hold my head in shame. I feel like I failed you. I am sorry. JS sends in a tip and says, I'm extremely disappointed in Netflix, they terminated their contact uh, their contract with Tangent Animation Studio in Toronto abruptly, and now 400 people are losing their job. They overpay their actors and make garbage movies, but don't care about the smaller studios at all. Well, usually there's a reason for that. I mean, I'm not saying that Tangent Animation Studio wasn't doing great work, but yes, I mean, you know what? I, sometimes this business sucks. It happens. Maybe somebody will come in and take over Tangent and put them back to work. But I know it seems strange when someone's like, yes, we're going to pay $450 million or whatever for Knives Out 2 and 3. What? And you've got a great animation studio, especially because there's so much animation on Netflix that's doing well, which is a good time to plug my own show, Dota Dragon's uh, Blood. I was the animatic editor. Eight episodes. We're working on the second season now. If you like Dota, Dota 2 if you like playing it, but if you like Dota, you like that world, Dota 2 Dragon's Blood Season 2 were deep deep, deep into production. I do not know. I have no idea when it's going to be on uh, on Netflix. No idea. But it's being made. Heston sends in a tip and says, I highly suggest reading Bob Iger's book, The Ride of a Lifetime. Great read. Truly demonstrates his business prowess. And it's the exact opposite of what we see of Disney's current CEO. Yeah, man. Bob Iger's a real deal. That book is great, Heston. Uh, plus, it's surprising to see how far back he goes. I mean, he's got a great career in the motion picture industry and just in entertainment in general. He really has done everything. He really understands the business from a holistic perspective inside and out. I think Iger, yeah, man, he's uh, he's one of a kind. And that book was wildly entertaining. I heard the audio book is, too. I think he reads it. Maybe not. I'm not sure if he doesn't. But I, I, I would get that. I just read the hardcover. But I would totally read it. I'd listen to him. Uh, you know, uh, if you want to hear another another one of my favorite audiobooks ever, if you're interested in the entertainment business, um, Bob Evans, The Kid Stays in the Picture. He wrote a whole book about it. He, like, produced The Godfather and ran Paramount. Uh, he's, he's amazing, and he's passed away now. But if you read 
I mean, get the get the audiobook of the kid stays in the picture. If you really, if you like Bob Iger's book, you'd like this book too. Rich A sends in a tip and says, "Hi, John. Greetings from sunny Bermuda. I just finished rereading Disney War. Such a good book." By the way, it's so interesting how Eisner-esque your description of Chapek is coming across. History repeating itself. Could be. Um, um, yeah. Uh, that's a very interesting observation. Uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, well, I guess we'll have to see where Chapek is going. I just think sometimes people... Like, I didn't think Kevin Sujahara was the guy to re, uh, run Warner Brothers. He came out of the amusement park industry the same way Chapek did. And Chapek used to work for home video, and he was very well-liked, but very different skill sets. And this 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 um, ScarJo thing should never have happened. Should never, never have happened. Never have happened. Um, but I'm glad you dug it. James LH says, how's it going, John? This may not interest you, but you've interviewed and hosted. So if you are hosting a Hollywood Reporter roundtable... What's your category? Directors, actors, writers, etc. I think based on Hollywood today, a revisit of studio execs. Well, I don't know. I can't speak for John. I would absolutely want to do directors. I would love to host a roundtable for directors. I think I'd be really good at it too. And uh, that would be for me. Although studio executives would be a lot of fun. The problem is they'd still be playing studio executive. And I don't know how, how much candor they'd bring to such a discussion. Um... But that's a that's a really good idea. See, now you make me want to host a, a roundtable discussion with directors. Um, Kevin Komaki sends in a tip and says, love the show, John. Well, Kevin, we love you. And thank you for generously supporting the show. You know, it's always good. I, I never get tired of hearing people say that they like the show. I've been I've been John's sidekick. Where I've been working. I started on uh, The Weekly Hero with John. And then he invited me on to do this show with him. Do you know that this month marks our third year working together it makes me want to go back and look at our first show together uh back in august of 2018 in the wake of john Chanette passing away but thank you kevin for the kind words appreciate it uh stub mcshave my man stubble all the way from sweden uh concerning box office results of black widow and jungle cruise the theater box office was domestic figures, but the D-plus numbers was the intera uh, international result for PVOD. So $30 million revenue from Disney-plus means $1 million worldwide purchases on Disney-plus. Maybe half of those were domestic. That's a really good point, Stubble. They don't always point that out. They added it to the opening gross, I figure, uh, the, the worldwide gross, so they could make it like $215 million. But it is, absolutely, it is... Um, uh, uh, international. Those are international numbers. So that was worldwide. That was people buying on worldwide. And that's definitely something that um, is worth pointing out. Lori, spelled L-O-R-E. I love that. Lori. With, uh, I love the way you spell it. Very, very nice. Uh, sends in a tip and says, I think the problem with Disney Plus is that every movie isn't worth $30. So we pick and choose which to buy. They need a tiered system. Your thoughts, Lori? I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, look, I've always in my life had a problem. Like, it's been hard for me to reconcile the fact that, okay, like I worked on Tango Shalom. My, did I mention that I made a movie called Tango Shalom that I produced and edited and post-supervised and was the visual, uh, yeah, visual effects supervisor on it? So Tango Shalom was made for very little money. But it takes the same 
almost two hours of time it takes to watch, say, a Marvel movie that might have cost $200 million. So I've always thought to myself, like, okay, even though I want to believe that my little independent film, because it's two hours long, is of the same value as, say, a big Marvel movie that's also two hours long, it's just not true. And I think you're absolutely right. I think a tiered system based on the cost to benefit, I mean, obviously a movie that costs $200 million is going to take a lot more uh, views to earn out than my little movie would. So there should be a tiered system. Absolutely. I think that's a great idea. And um, you are not wrong. You are not wrong at all. So 100% totally agree with you. I don't know if they'll come up with one, though. Um, because maybe Jungle Cruise would have done better on Disney Plus if it was cheaper, like 1995. I think movies should be tiered. And, you know, it's, Disney used to have these, these uh, letter tickets. So E tickets were the best. Like there was A tickets and B tickets and C tickets and D tickets. But if you had tickets for an E-list attraction like Pirates of the Caribbean, you were stoked. Now, that was a long time ago. That was like 40 years ago. But they did away with that. But it was still pretty cool. Still pretty cool. And on that note... I, I know you're, you're going to, you're going to miss me. I can tell you guys are already going, no, Rob, don't leave us behind. Well, I've, I, he only sent me these questions. I mean, he, you know, I can only read the questions that he gave me. So I do want to say thank you for all of you who've stuck this companion video out. I want to thank John Campia for allowing me to read these questions. I want to thank you guys and girls and gentle beings and kind souls from across these the 28 known galaxies for supporting the channel in a generous way by sending in tips and super chats. We very much appreciate it. Keeps the lights on here at the John Campia show keeps me on the show too. So thank you for that. Uh, and I want to thank John. I thank John. I don't need to thank John again. And I want to thank uh, Kimberly and I want to thank Aaron cause they're great. And Chris Carr, if she's out there, she's great too. But anyway, I'm Robert Meyer Burnett. You can find me on social media if you want to follow my ramblings. I am on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me there. I'm on Twitter at Burnett RM. And you can find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And until I do another one of these, I am your existential Mr. Rogers, and I am signing out. Don't forget, bring on the filthy.